Well, we're talking about distraction, and it's no secret that uh, in the world that we live in today, in our culture, that we live distracted lives. You know, last week we talked about how connected we are to our phones. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be difficult to maintain eye contact with somebody because, you know, you know we're in a conversation and then, like, this thing lights up and you look down and you check it. Or, or it's sometimes difficult to, you know, have a prolonged conversation because there's this little thing in your pocket that's vibrating, letting you know, hey, there's other things going on that wants your attention. You know, there's notifications and alerts that, are, that want to pull you away and say, hey, come look at me instead of the thing that's maybe most important right now, what's right in front of you. I was at a wedding yesterday, and um, the, the wedding party table at the dinner after the wedding, two of the groomsmen... We're down at the end of the table, and for several minutes, for a couple minutes, they're just like on their phones doing this and this, and I'm thinking, man, you're at the wedding. Like, be here with us. I looked out the window, and on the veranda even was um, the father of the bride, and I saw him on his phone for a little bit as well, and I just thought, this is amazing. This is crazy. We live such distracted lives. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been on your, your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram feed and you've been scrolling and you came to the end of it? Have that, has that ever happened? Have you, no one has ever come to, their end, to the end of their social media feed. That's never happened whatsoever. Why? Because they don't want you to find it. They don't want you to find the end. There is no end. It's a, it's a black hole. Uh, you know, you, you've never, ever scrolled to the bottom of your Facebook feed, and there's been a message that says, okay, that's enough for today. You have a family, for goodness sake. Go hang out with them. You know? They, they have designed it so that they're, it's endless. It, it can go on forever and ever and ever. But why? Because they're just trying to make money. So they're going to do whatever it is that they can to hold your attention for as long as they can. Because for them, that means dollars. It means that you're going to see another ad. That means that you're going to see this thing or that thing. And it, you know, it translates into money for them. Let me ask you this. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever had this happen to you where you're at the end of a long day and you're like, man, I just want to relax. I just need to unplug for a minute. It, you know, it's, it's 9.30. I don't have to be in bed really till about 10 or 10.30. I think I'll just take just a little time and I'll watch one show on Netflix. <laughs> I already know where this is going. So you put the show on and it ends and it's a cliffhanger. And you're like, oh, what's, what's going to happen next? And then what do you see down there at the bottom right hand corner of the screen? You see this little countdown and it's going, next episode begins. In three, two, one. And you're like, well, I'm here already. I mean, I might as well. And before you know it, it's two or three o'clock in the morning. And you're like, where did those, that five hours go? Where did that six hours go? Where was that? It's just gone. And, and, and now you're like operating on three or four hours of sleep because we don't pick up the phone and call our boss and say, hey, boss, I can't come into work today right now. I'm really tired. I'm going to sleep in. I'll come in after lunch because I stayed up too late binge-watching Stranger Things. You know, we, we don't do that. We actually get up at the normal time, and we go into work, but now we're operating 
on fewer hours of sleep, and now we're dragging. We're not on our A game. We're not performing like we should be because we got distracted, because we got focused on the wrong thing. You know, it's okay to divert yourself every once in a while. It's okay to have fun. But diversion and distraction isn't just something that we do every once in a while. It's become the norm in our culture. It's the thing that we seek after in our culture. It's happening all the time. And let me tell you, our culture is not neutral about it. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these other companies, they're not, they don't care about you. They're just trying to make money. And they are actively working. Our culture is actively working at trying to pull you into a direction that ultimately you don't want to go. Last week we said this. We said, when you don't watch where you're going, you end up where you don't want to be. And many of us are living what Socrates calls an unexamined life. We're not being intentional about the direction of our lives. We just bounce around just from one distraction to another distraction. Last week, we also looked at the passage written by the Apostle Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And not only was he was one of the 12, he was in like the inner circle with, with you know, him, James, and John. It was like Peter, James, and John were like the next level of, of friendship to Jesus and discipleship. And, and Peter was one of the fathers of the early church. And this is what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. He said this, 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is near. Now, Peter's not saying there's an asteroid that's about to hit the earth. And, you know, nothing, it's not like that. But what he is saying is that Jesus is the finished work of God. So it, the end of time could happen any, at any point. We don't know when. So in light of that, Peter says, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Now, why do we need to be clear-minded and self-controlled? So that you can pray. When we live distracted, our minds are not clear. Which is what Peter says, it's tied to being self-controlled. And when we don't exercise self-restraint, we get ourselves into trouble. We end up staying up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, watching something that's not helping anybody. When we focus on the wrong things, we don't have the time, we don't have the energy to devote the things that we most need to devote, and that's prayer. And if there's anything that we need in our country right now, it's prayer. I'm sure that you have heard and seen the news in the last couple of weeks, and even this last week, we've seen two very high-profile people commit suicide. Even here in Middle Tennessee in the last couple of weeks, we've seen some murder and suicides. We need prayer. We need prayer for our city. We need prayer for our country. We need prayer for our families. We need, we need to be praying that, God, I pray that you would help me be open to the more that you have for my own life. That's why before we even launched Siege Church, we established a weekly corporate prayer gathering. Because we knew that if we're not intentional about it, then it'll go to the wayside. It'll be one of the things that we say is important, but we don't do anything, we don't put any action to it. And so we decided we're not going to be that way. 
we're going to put our money and our time and our energy and our resources to what we say we value. If we say we value prayer, then we're going to do it. And so every Wednesday night, we gather for about an hour, and we cry out to God and say, God, move on our behalf, move on the behalf of our city. God, change us. God, use us to change the world around us. Last week, I told you that we were going to talk about why um, we feel so compelled all the time to take pictures and video of everything and post it all the time. And, and so um, it's amazing how when you're in the mindset and you know that you know, the, this is what you're going to speak on, what the Holy Spirit, you know, he makes your awareness uh, heightened for all these things. And so even Tuesday, Jamie and I were out on a date and we went, we were at Jenny's Ice Cream on 12 South and we'd gotten our ice cream, we'd sat down and I was just kind of turned around and looked for some reason behind me. And there was this girl who was behind us in line. She had gotten her ice cream. And she had her cup of ice cream and her phone. And she was now going to take the perfect picture for her Instagram feed. <clears throat> and and she, she was taking her time, getting a lot of different shots. making. I mean, she had it up here. And she was doing this. And it was so interesting. I'm like... I just wanted to walk over and say, sweetheart, you know you're like in the middle of the, the ice cream shop here. You know what this, I mean, just how goofy that looks, you know. <clears throat> and she's just taking all different kind of angles, and then she takes it into different light, and, she, and she's got to get her perfect ice cream shot. And I just thought to myself, I want to get a photo of her taking a photo. I, I want to get that photo inception, you know, photo within a photo. And so I, I, I didn't have my phone on me, but I left it in the truck because I wanted to give my attention to the people that were actually there around me. Yeah. Again, like I said, I often find that when I'm preparing a message, the Holy Spirit brings me these little gifts that are such a blessing. You know, so we're, we're, I'm planning about talking about distractions and I'm prepping to talk about why we feel compelled so much to, you know, take video and pictures of everything all the time. And without me going to look for it, this little video made its way to me. And so I will check this out. This will be a real blessing to you. Taking a picture of all your stuff? Yeah, this is a good moment. 
I support that. <laughs> oh, wait, just a second. I should probably comment on this. It helps me out if I'm the first one to comment. Cute. <laughs> That's a pretty big problem. Uh, we take so long to get anywhere. Do you like taking pictures of our feet? Oh, she picked, she picked. No, this one's better. No, no, stop, stop. Move it to, okay, can we hold hands? One more, one more. I like this leaf right here. Yeah, we used to eat our feet. Let's take pictures of it. No, you can't do that. I haven't taken a shot of that yet. God, we have to show everybody how much we enjoy our lives together. The crazy thing is that that is not too far off of reality. That's why we're laughing. I just want to say this. If you want to take pictures of the service in church, I don't want to just, you know, think, tell you that that's not a bad thing or a bad thing to do. You know, that's a great thing to do, sharing with people what's going on with church and with Jesus. But we're addicted to this. We're addicted to taking photo and video and posting it all the time. I want to show you a photo. Uh, it's actually two photos, and let, let's put this up here. And uh, what we're going to see here, up there in the photo in 2005, is the inauguration of, of the Pope from two popes ago. And then this is the inauguration 2013 of our last Pope. And you see the difference here? I think I see one cell phone out in that top photo, and it's right there and it's a flip phone. <laughs> and then we've got all these glowing screens here. A few years ago, <laughs> what'd you say? And no flip phones. And no flip phones, right. Uh, a few years ago, Johnny Depp was doing a uh, movie premiere in Boston. And we've got a photo of this. So a lot of people came out to uh, see Johnny Depp, to see all the other stars walking the red carpet. Uh, let's put that photo up if we can, and so everybody's just, you know, oh, Johnny Depp's coming down the red carpet, but if we zoom down here in the bottom left, we see the one person in the entire photo, this lady here, who's actually living in the moment. Her battery, she, died. Her battery died, Jeff said. <laughs> oh. Everybody else is so busy capturing the moment, they actually forget to experience what's happening right in front of them. My son was in a play last weekend, and uh, he was in this drama production. He did a fantastic job, and when his part you know, was, was up in the play, he came out on stage, and of course, I got my phone out to take pictures of him, because I'm proud of him. I'm proud of the hard work that he's doing, and, I, and I'm, you know, he's good. He's good at acting. And so I took a few photos, and I posted them, but there was this lady that was sitting like right in front of me and just to the left, and she had her phone out. The entire production, the entire play, videoing every scene. I'm not exaggerating. For an hour and a half, almost, she was videoing every single scene, and she's looking at it through you know, her screen. And I just thought to myself, why did she just stay home? She just should have stayed home, and in like two weeks from now, when the drama company released the video out to everybody, she could have just got the DVD and sat in her bed or on her couch and watched it on that screen because she's just experiencing it now through a screen. Why do we do this? Why, what, 
why do we feel the need to just capture everything all the time and share it? Why do we feel like, you know, uh, this is what social media has become. Any thought that just randomly pops in our head, we think everybody needs to know what we're thinking all the time. Can I just tell you something? There are some thoughts in your brain that need to stay there. <laughs> um, it's just true. So why do we do this? Why do we share all of these, these things that are happening all the time? Why are we sharing what we're eating? Why are we uh, sharing what we're wearing? It's really simple. It's because we like to be liked. We like to be liked. Uh, maybe even taking it a step further. You need to be liked. Every single one of us needs affirmation. We need somebody to look at us and say, you're worthy, you're valuable, you're beautiful, you're strong, you matter. Each of us desperately have this, this longing to know that we matter. John Eldridge, he's the author of the book Wild at Heart and many other great titles. He says this, he says that, that men are always looking for the answer to the question, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And we can really see this being very obvious and being very apparent in the lives of, of our boys as, they growing, as they're growing up. They're like, hey, look at me. Look, look, look how high I can jump. Look how fast I can run. Look how far I can throw this. Look at what I can do. You know? And they're, they're trying to find out, do I have what it takes? And then as we grow up into men, it's the same question that we're trying to get answered, but we ask it in different ways. We say, um, is my business being successful? Um, you know, am I a good leader? Am I a good husband? Am I a good father? We're asking, do I have what it takes? Eldridge says that women, they ask it a little bit differently. Or a different question. They, she says that um, women ask, am I a beauty to be treasured? And so the way that we see that played out in the lives of our little girls is like, hey, look at my princess dress. Look at my hair and makeup. Look at this. And they're, at, they're really trying to get down to, am I a beauty to be treasured? And so we're all asking these questions. We want to know if we matter. We want to know if we're valuable. So we go and search in the answer of these questions in a million different directions, we think. We're a million different diversions, a million different distractions. But really, it all boils down to just one of two ways. There's just two ways that um, two avenues, two foundations, if you will. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. And this is, Jesus describes two guys that are, each of them are building a house. And he said, one guy built his house on a rock. The foundation of his home, the place that he was going to live, was laid upon rock. Jesus said, and that's me. When you build your house on me, when you build your life around me, when you center your life around me, when you live your the purposes of your life around me, when the storms of life come, then your life, your house, will still be standing firm. But let's look at what he said here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. He says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, in other words, hey, I'm just going to live my life my own way, 
I'm not living my life with Jesus at the center. He's not my foundation. Then you're like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain is going to come. And the winds are going to blow. And the river is going to rise. And the wind's going to come against the house. And it's going to crash. When we go searching for our soul's deepest answers outside of any source besides Jesus, then our life is going to crash. And I just want to say this. It's not about, hey, if I build my life upon Jesus, then the storms won't come at all. The storms come. I mean, the Bible says it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. The storm's going to come to us all. But our life can stand firm if we've built it upon the foundation of Christ. If he's at the center of our lives. If this message is about any one thing, if we could boil it down to any one thing, it would be this. You cannot build anything durable or eternal on anything but Christ. We're, we're so busy trying to build it on this thing. I actually should take a selfie right now with all of you guys. Everything in this world can be taken from you except Jesus. You might be able to build your life around your career, but what happens when something threatens your career? You might think, well, I'm going to build my life around my family. That sounds good. But then what happens when tragedy strikes your family? I'm telling you, the only way for us to remain intact and survive the storms of life is to build our lives on something that can't be taken away from us, and that's Jesus. Our culture tries to build itself on everything but Jesus. Our distractions, they keep us from laying uh, our, our foundations upon Jesus on the rock that he is. And instead of being Jesus being at the center, instead of Jesus being at the center in our life, orbiting around Jesus... We place distractions at the center, and we orbit our life around those things. And I think what's at the very heart of the distractions being at the center, including the social media craze where we feel just compelled all the time to capture everything and post it and share it, and where we just have a thought that pops into our heads, and instead of researching what we're about to say, instead of like examining it, and God forbid, instead of us thinking about it for two seconds... We, we post it. What's at the heart of all of that, I believe, is humanism. And I think it's important for us to talk about this because I see a lot of humanism uh, creeping its way into our theology, creeping its way into the church. It's shaping the way that we view God. Humanism is shaping the way that we view ourselves. It's shaping the way that we view what God has called us to do. And it's shaping the way we view the world around us. And I just want to tell you this, it sounds really good. It sounds great, it sounds clever, but it's not the gospel. Here's what it looks like in today's culture. And and it didn't always used to be this way, but really the culture that we live in today, even the secular culture that we live in today, loves the idea that we're valuable, that we're special, that human beings are worth, you know, dignity, Every person is worth respect. That sounds great, right? 
Yes, it is. And you know what? It's absolutely true. But the problem is, is when you take God out of the equation. That's the problem. That's the humanism. We believe that we're special just because we are. I mean, have you seen me? Right? I'm incredible. I'm special. I'm valuable. Watch your kids' TV shows. Find, just pay attention. You'll see how much they are told how special and unique and valuable and worthy they are. And again, that's not bad except when we remove God from the picture. Because then we just think, well, I'm awesome because I'm awesome. No, you're awesome because of Jesus Christ. And so we used to explain that God is the one who made you. And he's the one that gave your life value because he, you're, he's, he's your creator. But when you cut him out of the, the equation, you're just left with, I'm special. Why? Well, just because I am. That's humanism. What makes a human being worth more than an animal? What makes your life worth more than a dog or a pig or a monkey or a goat? Who says that you're intrinsically more valuable than an animal? Because if we cut God out of the equation, we do not have a good answer to that question. Our culture tells us that our value and our worth, it just comes from within. That our value and our worth, it, it comes, you, yes, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> our culture says, you tell yourself that you're valuable. But the truth is, if, if that was the case, if that could really, if that was the solution to the problem, then why are we posting things all the time? Why are we taking pictures of things all the time saying, hey, everybody, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm getting to experience. Look what I just got. Look at my bowl of ice cream. If you are valuable, if, you, if, that, if that system really works, if humanism really works, then you wouldn't feel the need to post about everything all the time. But see, here's how that works. It, it's just like a, a, a downward spiral. Like, a, oh, man, look how many likes this bowl of, this bowl of ice cream picture got. I, I got to get some comments. I got to get some shares. And it's just a downward spiral. It doesn't, really, it doesn't really answer the question, do I matter? Do I have what it takes? Am I a beauty to be treasured? Ultimately, it doesn't matter if you just say that you're valuable. It's not enough for you to just think that you're amazing. I, you know who probably thought he was amazing? was Hitler. He probably thought, I'm awesome. He was not. Our culture, instead of building upon the foundation of Jesus, instead of him being at the center with our lives orbiting around him, you know what we've put at the center? Happiness. For crying out loud, it's stated in our very declaration of an independence here in the United States. What does it say? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are, say it with me, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That sounds really great, right? It sounds good, but the problem is, is that that's not the gospel. Now, do I believe that all men were created equal? I do. But... Is it my right 
is the pursuit of happiness, is that what God has created me for? To just pursue my own personal happiness? God didn't write the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson did. And you know, if we look and examine what we know about his life and the fruit of his life, he wasn't very close to Jesus. Don't walk out of here and say, why does J.D. hate America? (laughs) I do not hate America. I love this country. Okay? So do not misconstrue that. I love that I live here. I think it's a great nation. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect, but it is an amazing nation. I love it, and I'm very thankful for it, and I'm thankful for every man and woman that ever uh, spent any part of their life or gave their life to defending our political freedom. What I'm saying is, is that I am not pledging allegiance to the pursuit of happiness. That's That's not what God has called me to do or called any of us to do, is to pledge our life to the pursuit of happiness. But J.D., I deserve happiness. You deserve happiness. We all deserve happiness. Maybe you know this about Christianity. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Maybe this will surprise you. But if you read your Bible, do you know what it tells you that you deserve? We're talking about deserve. Not what you actually get. But it says that we deserve death and hell. All right, so we're done today. Let's pray. And... (laughs) That's what it says that we deserve. Before we came to know and follow Jesus, we were sinners. The Bible doesn't say anything about before you entered Christ, before you encountered Christ, that you were just awesome, that you were amazing, that you were beautiful, that you had what it takes, that you were beautiful. Here's what humanism looks like in our theology. God's up in heaven, and he looks down, and he saw all these beautiful people that were just amazing. And he said, you know what? I just got to go down there and hang out with them. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say anything like that. The Bible says that we were lost. We were dead in our sins. But God. But God. But God came from heaven, came to this earth to die for you. Why? Because, Jeff, you were just so awesome. No. Because he's awesome. He's awesome. And yes, and his love for us, which we don't deserve, but yet he still gives to us, that's an amazing thing. And when we step through the threshold of saying, God, my life is yours, that's when he makes our life awesome. Is it something that I did? No. Is it something that I did deserve anything? No. But he looks at me and he says, I see you through the lens of Christ. I see you through the blood of Christ. And because of Christ, you're awesome. But you're not just awesome because you're just amazing. You're awesome because of Christ. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he offers us a different way. He offers us a way out of these cycles of performance of going, well, I just got to make everybody, I got to perform, make everybody look like I got got my act together. He offers us a peace that we long for. And the way of Jesus isn't just about telling yourself that you're awesome. It's not about humanism. It's not about gaining likes or comments or shares. It's not about performance. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Basically, the human community, people around me, 
it doesn't really matter what they say about me. And then he takes it a step further. He says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. Because sometimes we say, well, I'm going to center my life around what other people say about me. And sometimes we're like, well, I don't care what anybody says about me. It only matters what I say about myself. And we put ourselves in the center. We put our own happiness at the very center. And, and, and Paul says, I don't even do that. That's not what I'm doing. Paul's like, I don't do either one of those things. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. And then Paul presents the gospel, and he says, it is the Lord who judges me. What others think of me is not at the center. It's not my foundation. My humanism, just I'm awesome because I'm awesome. That's not the center. That's not my foundation. The Lord is my center. Jesus is my foundation. He is the rock that I lay the foundation of my life. He's the rock that I build the house of my life upon. And he says, and he, Jesus, will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of your heart. When you stand in front of him, everything is exposed. And I think for some of us, like, if we don't look at this scripture through the lens of grace, it terrifies us. Oh, my God. The Lord is my judge. Oh, my God, everything's going to be exposed. Because what do we do? We, we, we've taken our social media accounts or whatever, and we've only posted the highlight reel. When we know that our everyday life does not look what's on our Facebook feed. Look, we just celebrated our anniversary. Look at this. And you know what? Let me tell you, celebrating your anniversary and taking a picture and posting of it, that deserves to make the highlight reel. That's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. Your anniversary needs to make the highlight reel. Here's the thing, though. We don't post anything about, hey, I was out with my wife celebrating our anniversary, and I saw this other really attractive woman, and she held my attention for a little bit longer than it should have. Has anybody read that one on Facebook? No. There's some crazy things that go through our heads sometimes. And then we're thinking like, oh my gosh, I hope no one ever in a million years knows. <laughs> that just went through my mind. Where did that come from? What's that all about? You don't post that kind of stuff. The people around you don't know that that kind of stuff is going on in your head. But guess who does? Jesus knows. And I'm like, Jesus knows? No. No. <laughs> No, Jesus knows, and he loves you in spite of it. Not because you did anything awesome, not because you deserve it, but because he's awesome. We think we have to perform for everybody else. We think we've got to keep all these plates spinning all the time. We've got to keep up the image. We've got to keep up the facade for everybody else. We've got to make the highlight reel perfect. We've got to have, you know, JD's top ten. That's the system of our culture. But with Jesus, you don't have to perform for him. Why? Romans 5.8 says this. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, while we were still sinners, when we didn't do anything to deserve the love of God, Christ died for us. That means this. Be, liber be liberated. You can stop performing. You can stop. You can stop dancing for everybody. 
You can stop trying to put on this persona for everybody. You can stop caring about how many, how many likes or comments or shares that you get. You can stop caring about who likes and comments and shares or how many. Who's paying attention? You can lay all of that down. You can stop performing for the people around you, and you can just rest. You can rest in the fact that Jesus performed on your behalf. We want to put together this great show, this great performance. We want to show off the highlight reel. Hey, everybody, look at my achievements. Look at what I've done. Look at my accomplishments. But the Christian way is this. Me? Oh, no, 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 no. Let me show you Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Because I'm nothing without Jesus. He's the one that makes me anything. And I'm telling you, this is liberating. Tim Keller said this. He says, we try to create a dazzling image of ourselves because we don't really believe that we are golden before Christ. We don't have to prove that we're something special. Let's stop performing. Let's start resting in the fact that Jesus performed for you so that you don't have to. Because guess what? All of your performance... It doesn't add up to anything anyway. It doesn't even, Jesus says, or Paul says this, he says, your performance is like a dirty, oily, nasty rag, like a dirty diaper. That's what our performance is compared to the glory of Christ. And, and then he has come and he has clothed us with robes of righteousness. Thank God. Thank God. Let's pray. Mm, Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. We don't even know the half of it, of how amazing that you are and what you've done for our lives. I pray that you would help us realize when we're distracted. Help us realize when we've put distraction or happiness or anything that's not you at the center. Help us realize when we've been building the foundation of our lives on anything that's not you, Jesus. And help us, we pray, help us, Jesus, to see you. Help us to see the work that you are doing. Pull us, God, out of our apathy. Ignite our hearts for passion for you, for passion for your kingdom. Equip us, God, mobilize us to make a real difference in the world around us by the power of your Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you've never declared Jesus as the Lord of your life, you've never stepped through that threshold of saying, I want to follow Christ. I, I realize that there's nothing that I can do to perform to be good enough, and I just want to do this. I want to follow Christ and have him make me awesome because I'm, I'm just tired. If that's you today, I want to give you that opportunity to do it with me as we all pray together. All of us in the room, we're going to pray this together. And if that's you, I want to invite you to just not be, not, as you repeat these words, don't let them just be words that come in, coming out of your mouth that don't have any meaning, but you put the meaning behind the words. Everybody just repeat after me and say, Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth. Jesus, thank you for coming to die in my place. To pay for my sins. I want you to save me. 
I believe that you were raised from the dead. I believe that you're alive today. And ask you to make me alive. I'll follow you the rest of my life. Jesus, be my foundation. Jesus, be the center of my life. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want to welcome you. I just want to give you a big hand clap. Again, not because you're awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. And this is the best decision that you could ever make with your life. Would you stand with me? We're getting out a little bit late today. I'm sorry about that. Our prayer team is going to be down here at the front as we dismiss. And if there's any need that you have for prayer whatsoever, please don't miss this opportunity. Don't leave here today without agreeing with someone in prayer. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time or recommitted your life to God, I want to invite you to come down here and meet one of our prayer team. We would like to get to know your name and rejoice with you. Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about what do we do from here. We've been talking a lot about the problem. We've been talking a lot about diagnosing the issue. But what do we do from here? Do I throw out my phone? Do I delete my social media accounts? What do I do? That's what we're going to be talking about next week, okay? So I just pray over us right now. May May the peace and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of our Heavenly Father, and may the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.